Stand Firm Conference 2023, hosted by Hope Reform Baptist Church in Underwood in partnership with Ascension Church in Spring Hill and Ormo, Reformation Church in Waco, and Hope Reform Baptist Church, Gold Coast in Helensville. Don't just sit on the bench. Check out the details of these churches in the description below and be active within a local church. May God bless and equip you for good works. Everyone keeps asking me what I've learned. I've learned uh, to, to be a Baptist here means you got to scream your entire sermon. It's one volume all the way up to 11. Uh, it's great to be here. My session is on church planning, and my text is going to be Matthew chapter 28. Just verse 18 through 20. Let me read it to you now. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, bless this time reflecting on your church, God. We pray that you would bless Australia with more biblical, local God-fearing, Jesus-proclaiming churches. God, we ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. So when I, I've uh, kind of been in the church planning world for a long time. I became a Christian in 1997. I was in the charismatic movement for a time back in the States. If you ever heard of the Toronto Blessing or whatever, that was kind of the, the group I was in. I never barked like a dog, never rolled over, never got slain in the spirit, never spoke in tongues, uh, probably because it's not real. And uh, so I... Um, I got saved in that, but then I got introduced to the Calvary Chapel movement, and I was a youth pastor in Calvary Chapel for about, about six years, so there's a movie called The Jesus Revolution that covers some of that. I haven't seen it, but that's uh, that movement, and then I was in Acts 29 uh, in the early days, like 2005, I came in at Matt Chandler's church out there in Texas um, and planted a church in, in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio called Seven Hills Church when I was in my mid-20s which is way too young usually to plant a church. Every once in a while, there's some ex- exceptions, okay? Um, but um, while I was in the process of gathering my core group, I, we met in the evenings on Sunday, and I was doing some pulpit supply in, uh, in the mornings, and a friend of mine connected me to this old church. Um, and it's been around at that point for about 45 years, and uh, they wanted me to come and preach for like, I think it was four or five Sundays, they said they're not Calvinists, so I said, oh, that's okay, I'll just preach Ephesians and just not, <laughs> not tell them what I'm doing. Um, but uh, the youngest member of that church was the pastor's daughter, and she was like 67, right? And uh, so she was sweet, and I came there and I preached, and there was probably about 18 people, something like that. And, uh, and they had one of those weird moments that all you introverts just absolutely are terrified of where they, you have to go around and greet like three people. Like they stop the service and you greet, you know, I always just pretend like I'm doing it. <laughs> so it's just so awkward. But um, I've actually heard of churches where they've asked people to sing a song that they like the first time there. <laughs> so uh, I think Hope Reform, Hope does that? No. Um, but... Um, so I preached, and one thing that I noticed is out in their foyer, 
they had this big bronze bust of the founder of the church, her, her dad. And at the end of my time there, they were really kind to Emily and I. And they asked what, what we could do to uh, grow the church. And I said, honestly, you, you should rip that bronze bust down of your dad. You should rip it down and throw it away. No one can ever live up to that man, right? He's literally perfect. You've made him perfect. And there's just no way that any pastor can come in here and make any changes. And the reason I tell you this story is that everyone, every time you talk about church planning, they all go to the same place and they say, well, we already have churches. Why don't we double down on the churches that we have? Why don't we already revitalize those? And why don't we fill those up first uh, before we go out and start new churches? Well, a lot of times those churches are that way for a reason, right? They're weird. They're not biblical. Um, they've got a very particular history to it. Or any pastor with any sense comes in there and is like, I can never live up to this guy um, there's a lot of reasons that re- revitalization is not the, uh, as easy as people think it is. Now, I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm for it. I think there are some pastors that are wired that way. I'm not. I like creating my own problems instead of, like, picking up someone else's, right? And, um, and there's also just not enough churches. There are not enough churches in the West. There's not enough churches anywhere. In America, and we're doing way better than you guys are, uh, I've learned in my time here, right, in terms of the number of churches. Uh, in my hometown, there's like 50 churches, easily, I could recommend that you go to. 50 churches, right? Like 30 minutes from me, there's 50 churches that I think if you went there, the pastor would preach against sin, you'd be discipled in the word, and you could raise a family there and be a good place to go. Uh, is that true here? Do you feel that way? I hear it's not, okay? So even in my country, there's not enough churches. I mean, in... Right now in uh, Claremont County, where I live, there's about uh, 256,000 people. We could stand for like 100 more churches to reach people. The average church size, 67% of all churches in the states are less than 100 individuals. Everyone thinks there's these mega churches everywhere. They're they're not. It's like 1% of all churches are 800 people or more. Uh, So you could really, we could plant... Tons of churches in America, and there still wouldn't be enough. There's less churches in America right now per capita than there was at seven, in 1776 at the foundation of our, our country. There's, we haven't kept up with doing it. So we need to plant churches uh, because there's not enough, because revitalization usually fails, and most importantly, because the Bible tells us to, right? Which is my first point. This great commission given to the body is primarily about um, uh, church planning and establishing, or establishing local churches another way. And people, when they come to the Great Commission, they have a tendency to read it through the lens of like personal evangelism or parachurch ministry. Um, and so that's what they think of when they, when they hear this. And that, that's because the church has been largely replaced by parachurch ministries. Parachurch means it comes alongside. So things that we have in uh, the States are like Campus Crusade for Christ. Right, where they, they do uh, campus ministry, and, uh, and some people say, that is my church, but it's not a church. It's, 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 a, it's just a parachurch. Or we think of um, street preaching as doing the Great Commission. I'd argue that that's not the primary thing that the Great Commission has in mind. Um, it has the ministry of the visible church in mind. And there's two things that make that immediately clear if you just take the time to read the passage. The first one is the holistic nature of the teaching, right? So go, therefore, make disciples, 
And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That sort of holistic teaching, that life, like life teaching does not happen in a, in a parachurch ministry. They're usually just focused on one aspect of something. And it certainly doesn't happen in street preaching, right? Street preaching is just you declaring the gospel, calling people to repent. But making disciples happens inside the church, right? You have to teach them to observe all. And that is the ministry of a local church, not the ministry of a parachurch or whatever. So there's that. Uh, but then there's also the, the uh, command to baptize. So uh, if, it doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian, like me and Jesus, um, which is, they say, the Westminster Confession, uh, when they talk about baptism, they call it an admission into the visible church. But if you go look at the 1689 London Baptist um, Confession, we don't disagree there. They call it a sign of, of his fellowship with him, a sign of a fellowship with Jesus and the local church. Uh, so the command to baptize is, is tied to the visible local church. That's the normative thing. Baptism normatively has three things. It's the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's with water, and it's uh, done by a lawfully ordained minister. So just a pastor, an officer in the church. Um, could be a youth pastor, could be a deacon. Generally, it's a pastor. Those are the three things. But they, it happens in the context of a church because you're identifying with the visible church. The visible church, though, is people say, well, all the church is my church. Well, that's actually true. Like, we belong to the whole visible church. But you experience that belonging and, and some manifestation of it. Some, if you think of the church as a big tree, you have to live on a twig somewhere. So a lot of times when people say, well, the whole church is my church, that, that really means you just don't go to church on Sunday and you listen to podcasts or something like that, right? Because if, if you'll be part of a member church, a local church, and, and when you get baptized, you identify with the whole church as some local place. So this clearly is talking about starting churches, planting churches, and growing churches. That's when you read the Great Commission, that's what you need to think about. I've had missionaries come to me and say, would you support my mission work? Sure, what are you doing? Well, I found this way. Uh, these people are really into hand gliding over in the Swiss Alps. And so I have this hand gliding ministry, and I get opportunities to go you know, preach to people. I am not funding your hand gliding hobby and just because you tack Jesus onto it. I'm not going to do it. So much missionaries, so many of these guys uh, want to go play Indiana Jones for Jesus, and I'm not interested in, in giving them money. You tell me, you get, here's what I'm going to do to start planning a church or prepare the way for a church, then I'm, I'm willing to listen. But the Great Commission is about planting and growing churches. Now, here's another thing to think about. Think about the physicality of baptism, right? It, it involves water. Someone takes the water and they pour it on you or, they, or you get dunked into it, right? Um, but the fact that baptism is physical teaches us right away a big thing we need to know. You, don't, you cannot have internet church. Like it's impossible. Like it's not, it's, that's not really church. Um, podcasts, online forums, all those things, they're supplements. Think of them like extra vitamin C or taking creatine or whatever, like, they can be helpful, but it's not a replacement for actual meal. And uh, so the physicality of baptism tells us that uh, to be in the church is to have a physical presence in the church, right? And that's important because I think a lot of people are giving up on the local church, and we can. So there's only three things you can do when it comes to church. You can either work for a reformer, God has you. You can 
you can move, right? There's so many people, should we leave Australia and come to America? That's an option. It is an option. But this is your, this is your homeland, right? That means something. I'm never leaving America. They'll have to rip me uh, out. Everyone's like going to Texas. Like, we're going to go to Texas and wait this thing out there. I'm like, screw that, man. I'm staying in Ohio. Like, these people, these sort of people that are messing with the church right now will not leave you alone. There's no escaping. At some, time, at some point, you just got to stand up to people, right? So I put my roots down in Ohio. I'd say, you're welcome over to our country. Uh, we'll, if you come through the immigration process the normal way, you're welcome. Uh, if not, good chance getting over the wall, I guess. Um, but, um, but this is your home. I wouldn't give it up so easily, right? I'd, I'd fight really hard. And um, so you can either move, you can work for reform, or you can plant new churches. And uh, people keep asking me, what, what are my big takeaways from being here in Australia? And I try not to um, form opinions quickly. Like, so, like, all my initial observations are kind of goofy, you know? Like, look how small your coffees are. Why is the $2 bill coin smaller than the $1? Like, it doesn't, doesn't even make, like, why is your money so gay? Like, like stuff like, <laughs> trying to figure this stuff out. Questions like that. Um, but the whole time, in the background, I just wanted to take my time to, to absorb your culture and your guys' struggles and the things you're really dealing with before I started, you know, chiming in and, and giving you, you know, all the sort of cocky American wisdom. Um, I think, and this is a point I want to make through this, what you guys need more than anything, what you need more than anything in this country is, is more churches, right? You need to plant more churches. You need to pray in more godly church planters and, and get behind church plants. Church plants are hard. They're risky. I've been in them a few times, and I've, I've, I've planted two churches. It's, it's, it can be exhausting. Set up, tear down, man. It takes years off your life. You know, we, had, we used to have to set, set up and tear down a big old stage for East River, and that was wearing us all down. So we need to plant more churches. Churches are physical. That's what the Great Commission is talking about. The other reason we need to give ourselves to church planting is because church planting is central to cultural renewal because disciple-making is culture-making. Matter of fact, the best way to think about the Great Commission, in my opinion, is that it's, it's the uh, creation mandate, or the cultural mandate for a fallen world. World, right, So the, the creation mandate, I like creation mandate, um, but that's way back in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, rule, reign, and subdue, right? And so as you do that in the world, you make things. So right after the fall, one of the things we find out is here's all these people that made instruments uh, for music and different types of bronze tools or whatever. Right away, you see um, mankind making culture. And there's only really two types of cultures. There's the culture that's centered on the glory of God, and there's culture that's built around the glory of man, right? Um, and so now, uh, after the fall, the creation mandate isn't going to just naturally produce believers, right? Because people are fallen. So you have to call them back to God. You have to preach the gospel, and they have to repent. So the Great Commission does that. So they both have the same goal, which is to fill the world, with people who honor and worship God. That's the purpose of the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. What's that going to be? That's going to be babies that know God before the fall, right? And then they're going to rule and reign, and they're going to produce things for God's glory. Now, we, the way we get that done is that we preach the gospel, 
Hearts are renewed, people are reborn, and they live for God's glory. And he's going to do that till he fills the entire planet with people. Every nation is going to be discipled um, by the, the act, action of church planning. So it's super important that the gospel, the preaching of the word, precede culture making. So in my circles, what I'm seeing is people, since Christians have kind of like had the holy huddle backed out, I think to a large degree, it's, it is dispensationalism has led to it, this waiting for Jesus to rescue you from everything. Um, right now, a lot of people talk about we're waiting for the Christian Franco or the Christian Caesar or whatever uh, to come and lead America. I have to point out that to me sounds like a fancy way to get back to a rapture mentality where once that Christian Caesar comes, then he'll lead us back to glory, right? Once Jesus comes in, we'll be brought out of this. Uh, but what I'm seeing is people getting obsessed with culture making, which I like, but it has to come from the gospel. And in the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, he imagines the, the various strategies that demons use to keep people from believing or keep Christians from growing. And the following demonic stratagem is laid out in the seventh letter. If you haven't read screw tape letters, I highly recommend it. Here's what Uncle Screwtape says. Whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism, right? So Uncle Screwtape's strategy is a solid one, and Christians continue to get suckered by it. For example, churches foolishly took a nonpartisan political approach the last several years in, in America. I would argue that nonpartisan approach was actually liberal leaning. Uh, but anyhow, and now churches are springing up, churches like mine, which are tempted to take a heavy partisan political approach. Right? So we swing back and forth, always reacting, rarely acting. Worse yet, the gospel becomes a subordinate issue as opposed to the engine of real and lasting change. Pastors who fall for this strategy will be slaves to the political sensitivities of liberals or conservatives. Now look, I don't think liberals and conservatives are same in terms of their, their worldview value. I'm not trying to do this down the middle sort of thing. That's not what I'm saying. But there are people that will try to own you. I had this happen in my church where I had all these MAGA people come. They're big Donald Trump fans. I voted for Donald Trump in the last election. I'm not ashamed of it. I wouldn't have voted for the living corpse that is uh, Joe Biden. And uh, he's a wicked, evil man. And I hope he gets saved or God judges him, right? That's how I feel about that, man. He's a bad person. Um, I have no problem with saying that. I say it, I'd say it from my pulpit. At the same time... Um, I want uh, Donald Trump to uh, repent of his adultery, but I'm happy for him to keep our country from going down the drain as quick, right? So there's good things about it, but these people wanted me to talk about QAnon nonsense and always toe the line there and talk about their political stuff. And I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna like, who's Donald Trump? Who's Joe, do you understand like America will come and go just like Egypt came and went and so many other, like I believe that we're thousands of years to go in church history probably, right? I think that's likely. And we'll look back, oh yeah, America, that was great. Um, 
And it's not because I don't love my country. I just, the only thing that doesn't ever end is the kingdom of God. It's the church is unstoppable. But these nations, you know, you go to Rome, and we used to go to Rome and look at it and say, ha, it's nothing. Look at this dust, right? Look what they made. It didn't last but just a couple hundred years. How long has the church been going? 2,000 years. They keep trying to kill us. They can't stop us, right? Christianity is almost always gone. And then just keeps on growing, right? So anyway, these pastors, they become kept men who live to please their constituents and must tiptoe around the platform when they, when they preach and minister. People say that they don't want weak pastors. I don't buy it. Men who cater to liberal zygais are cowards. However, what I think people really want are pastors that toe the line of whatever particular fancy they're into at the time. I don't think they can deal with a strong man because a strong man is not going to pander to them, right? He's not going to, you know, post-mill, theonomy, homeschooling. Like, I hear all these buzz terms, like, and I wonder if anyone knows what they're talking about and put any time into it. Uh, we can get caught up in this, like, cheap, shallow Christianity that, that seems more hardcore, and we can make the gospel subordinated to it. That's a real danger. And I'm not going to stop homeschooling my kids, Right, and I certainly think the law of God in the Old Testament is good, and I know that Jesus is going to win, and I'm not scared about the church failing. And um, yeah, I love all that stuff, but we have to be careful. You know, right? Our religion, our religion, uh, says something about everything, right? So it isn't the issue of a, a position against or for. Uh, excuse me, we aren't called to be moderates in all things. We ought to be extreme in the things which God calls us to be extreme. The issue is when a subordinate position becomes the primary cause. And so churches have to be preaching the word. That's the main thing. I got everyone telling me what churches, don't you think churches should teach men how to be men? No. Why? That's what a dad does. Now, when you live in chaotic times, the church does have to minister to certain people with needs in their church. Right? And right now, men are without fathers. And so to some degree, we, we, we give that an emphasis and try to help them. But I've had people back home tell me, don't you think the church should be teaching young men how to shoot guns? No, the church is the word in the sacraments. The word in the sacraments. You preach the word and you administer the sacraments and you discipline the people who don't obey God. That's, that's the three marks of the church. That's what it's always been. And the word is way more powerful than teaching people how to shoot guns. Right? It'll teach them some self-respect. And then you go buy a bunch of guns. If you live in America, if you live here, you get Swiss Army knives or something like that. I don't know what you do. <laughs> Pile rocks. Right? You know, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Hope it snows and uh, throw snowballs at eye, spit in their eye. Um, it's rough to be down under. But uh, my point here is what we need are men who can't be owned and will preach the word regardless who it irks, engages, or repels. I don't care if you like me. It doesn't really matter to me. Like, they already paid for the flight. Well, wait, they haven't. Um, well, whatever you guys want me to say, I'll say for a little while longer. <laughs> so, no, but seriously, like, we need men that don't, they, they don't care. They're not, they're not easily um, bought. And that's a real problem we're having right now. Second point I want to make is that church planning requires church planners. Right? So the, gospel, the Great Commission was given to officers. It was given to the church. Right, it was given to those men that God had called. And we know that's what he's doing because then it, right when you move into Acts, they're trying to replace Judas and you see their ministry grow. And you really see the ministry grow through evangelists, through people that are sent out by the church. It doesn't mean that the church isn't involved like you people, like non-pastors are, aren't involved in the ministry of the church. Of course you are. 
But even evangelism should happen in the context of a local body somehow. If you're calling someone to repent, you're calling them to repent and to join a church, right? I see all these guys that do street preaching, and they never invite people back into the church. What's going to happen to that little sheep if he did repent? He needs to be part of a body where he's cared for, where he has a a pastor. So the church planning requires church planners. And uh, I know that's obvious, but everyone thinks that every pastor can be a church planner, and it's not true. It's a different type of person. Um, And the best example we have is Paul. Paul's the most prolific church planner in the New Testament. Just a few key attributes uh, of of church planning I want to, or that we can get from Paul's example. Uh, First off, they're men of vision. A lot of people don't like the word vision because it sounds like kind of megachurch stuff, but all a vision is is a mental picture of a task completed, right? You have to have vision sometimes. And you see that with Paul. Paul knows exactly where he wants to go and what what's he wa- wants to do, and he's committed to his mission, and no one can stop him. But when it's time for him to go to Jerusalem, when he knows God's calling him there, he's, no one can talk him out of it. And you're looking for these guys that there's nothing else that they can do but plant a church. They want it worse than anything you know i see a lot of these guys that will give their life to a church if it only if it gets like a hundred people or whatever right that's just not a church planner that's a person that wants to be successful and this is a way for them to be cool and have status and all that sort of stuff they're not a church planner paul though had a vision he was a man committed to it the other thing is that they're divine troublemakers who have a high tolerance for conflict and chaos Right, so these guys are—they make enemies. They have like a bad reputation. Paul had a bad reputation with everyone. Right, this guy's going from town to town. He's like telling people they don't have to believe the law. All this stuff they're saying about Paul—they're accusing him of being an antinomian. Um, and one of my favorite stories about Paul is Acts 14. But the Jews came from Antioch, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, it's <laughs> like. He's all swollen. He's laying on the ground. They're all like around him. You know, he rose up and he entered the city, right? The city he just left, he didn't leave. He got dragged out. He got stoned. He goes right back into it. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I, I'm thinking he looked pretty rough. They knew he, he, was, he was living his message. And when they had appointed elders uh, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. So this is a sort of man... Paul is. He, he has a high tolerance for conflict and chaos. The problem that we ran into is we got a bunch of like Nancy boys that are kind of like a managerial class of man running our churches, right? These guys, uh, when everything's okay, they can manage the system. But when things like COVID or, or just a denominational failure happen, these are terrible guys. That's why you had these nice guys, these suck-ups that have never talked about authority in their entire life until 2020, and suddenly they're talking about Romans 13 all the time. You never heard him talk about Romans 13 in years, right? Their whole, their whole personality is that they're, they're nice, they're not, they're not authoritarian and all that, and they don't go there until, until they, the government might get mad at them, right? And then they folded like a cheap chair. And then they told everyone, you have to submit to our authority. Um, we need men who aren't scared. We need bold men so some of you are called to be church planners. A lot of you are called to, to support these men, right? It is hard to be hated. Um, 
it's not, uh, uh, you don't want to enjoy it. You should never enjoy being hated. Uh, but you also shouldn't, you need guys that can do it. I think of this Tozer quote. If Christianity is to receive a rejuvenation, it must be by other means than any now being used. If the church in the second half of this century is to recover from the injuries she suffered in the first half, there must appear a new type of preacher. The proper ruler of the synagogue type will never do. Neither will the priestly type of man who carries out his duties, takes his pay and asks no questions, nor the smooth-talking pastoral types, that's, I think that's in the Greek, it's Acts 29, who knows how to make the Christian religion acceptable to everyone. All these have been tried and found wanting. Another kind of religious leader must arise among us. He must be the old prophet type, a man who's seen visions of God and has, the, has heard the voice from the throne. When he comes and I pray, God, there will not be one but many. He will stand in flat contradiction to everything our smirking, smooth civilization holds dear. He will contradict, denounce, and protest in the name of God and will earn the hatred in opposition of a large segment of Christendom. Christians will hate him. Such a man is likely to be lean, rugged, blunt-spoken, and a little bit angry with the world. He will love Christ in the souls of men to the point of willingness to die for the glory of the one and the salvation of the other. But he will fear nothing that breathes with mortal breath. That's the sort of church planners we need. And you guys are willing to take risk, but for the gospel, for the glory of God, for the building up of the saints, for the planting of churches, those are the sort of guys you have to look for. Those are the sort of guys you have to encourage. Right? You have to nurse that into someone. Being just brash and making, being a jerk isn't being that sort of man, right, young men. If you spend more than 30 minutes a day arguing on, online, you are probably a loser. Um, <laughs> probably. Not definitely, right? But 35 minutes, definitely. So there's like, that's the cutoff. No. Don't spend, that doesn't make you bold. Right? This is a, here's a critique I have of street evangelism, since there's a bunch of Baptists here. Um, so I'm for street evangelism. I don't see it as much in scripture as a lot of people seem to. But I used to do street evangelism for a long time. And you would go downtown and you would preach to people, or you'd go to stadiums, you'd preach to people, you'd get spit on, people would like pull guns and things um, uh, where I lived in Ham. And uh, so uh, then you go home. And and then you wouldn't preach to your neighbor or to your coworkers or your family members. And I just think, isn't it funny we have to drive so far to talk to people about the gospel when God sovereignly has placed all these people around us that are so easy to talk to. The, the reason is they're not easy to talk to because you've got to see them the next day. Right? You've got to see them at family gatherings. And the stranger on the street, the likelihood of you ever seeing them again, interacting with them again is like very low. So there's a sort of boldness to go to the, out on the street that, um, that's, you know, there's a value to it. But I'm telling you to preach the gospel to people you actually know that know this, like the reality of your life, that's, that's real boldness, okay? And I, I, I would love to believe that street preaching would bleed into the boldness in your life. I've found the opposite uh, works the other way. And so we need people that are going to... Um, preach the gospel to their friends, willing to, take, willing to upset people, uh, all that sort of stuff, but not just brash, arrogant young men. The world has enough of those. If you're a young guy and you know that you're a little arrogant, get under a pastor that'll slap you around a little bit with the Bible and love you so you can be worth something to the body of Christ because we do need powerful, strong men, men that are strong in the grace of God. 
Another thing with these church planners is that we need to realize, if you're moving, I know a couple of you are thinking about church planning, the pattern of, of your life is the blueprint of your church. And this is true of anyone involved in discipleship. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 8. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourself know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So time and time again in scripture, Paul makes this appeal. You know how I live, live likewise. And so church plants, generally speaking, take on the personality and habits of their pastor. Uh, this is only natural. Uh, I was in a church plant, and, or not a church plant, I was in a church, it was kind of a replant, and the, the senior pastor was kind of a homebody and an introvert. And it was really rare to get together for fellowship. Emily and I tried, because we are like extroverts to the max. Right, um, M's even worse than me. She like she wears me out, but uh, so we love having lots of people over. And I was hired on as an outreach, a director of outreach and evangelism, and trying to get the church to have people into their homes was, was just so hard. Right, I just couldn't I couldn't overcome his personality, and he wasn't trying to um, subvert what I was doing. It's just it's who he is, and so. That's ultra true when it comes to their holiness and their practice and their prayers and the books they read and all that stuff. A son will be like his father and a disciple when he's fully trained like his master. And training doesn't just happen in the former, formal structural times, but along the paths of life. Right? That's what we see in Deuteronomy 6 and in the method of Jesus and in our own lives. So church planners, you look for guys that embody um, the gospel, that lived this stuff out. I, I wrote this blog post once um, that really made everyone mad. It was called John Piper Screams at His Wife. It was the name of the blog post. So I wrote this whole story about how John Piper screamed at his wife at a church picnic. It's this whole thing. I write it all out. And um, like it's in crazy detail. And then at the end of it, I, I just say that this is kind of a parody. And everyone got mad. The reason, what I was trying to communicate is that John Piper, like any man, has gone in a fight with his wife. And this is when Desiring God was like the coolest thing. Like that was a long time ago, right? And, uh, and all, all, the fan, all the fanboys freaked out. No, he doesn't scream at his wife, right? Like, do you know John Popper? Have you ever met him? Well, I've never met him, but I've been listening to him for years. So what? Like he gets up there at a conference and generally you try to prepare and you try to be on your best behavior. Like do you really think like the way someone acts on the first date is how they'll act all the time throughout the rest of your relationship? Right? Generally, you come like on best behavior. Uh, so John Piper, I'm sure he's a good man, but uh, any, any guy, any pastor has problems in his life. And a lot of people, they'll come to these church plants and they'll meet a real pastor and they'll find out that sometimes his kids act like little nut jobs. And sometimes he's, he's tired and says something he shouldn't or maybe makes an improper joke here and there or whatever, and he lets them down, right? You're like, oh, no, I want a man like John Piper. John Piper's like every other man. Mark Driscoll's like every other man. Like, whoever you're into online, they're, they're, they're going to not be as perfect as you think they are, right? Once you get to know them, I always tell everyone, uh, your heroes are online aren't as heroic as you think they are, and the villains online aren't as villainous as you think they are, right? That's the fact of things. And I think uh, you, you, wanting a pastor to have godly habits and all that is great, but they're real people, 
right? They're going to, they're going to let you down. So if you, right now, Australia, um, as you are wanting to engage in Reformation and, and plant more churches, you're going to have like these high ideals, right? And you're going to get to get into fellowship with people and you're going to find that sin's in every church and you have to work through it and that's why we need the gospel, that's why we need the means of grace and all that. And if you're too idealistic, you're just going to be sitting at home listening to podcasts, disobeying the word of God, ironically. And so you're looking for a man that embodies these things, and, uh, but you want to you know him. I always have people tell me, oh, you have such a great marriage. And I just think, how do you know, right? How do you know I have a great marriage? You don't know. Robbie Zacharias had an okay marriage, I heard. <laughs> Got to cut our addiction to celebrities. You have to, right? Australia doesn't need America. You don't. Right? You just need pastors, godly pastors that are about, about planting real churches centered on the word, ministering the sacraments. That's what you need. Now, when you're preparing for a church plant, you've got to review the rhythms of your life. As an individual, when you're studying, meditating, and tending to your own basic, or as an individual, you need to know when are you studying, meditating, tending to your own basic physical needs. We took a year to prepare, well, a little more than a year to prepare for East River. And I, I had to make sure I had my prayer life down pat uh, because it's spiritual warfare. Five minutes, it's not going to happen. Um, there's a light up here that tells me I have five minutes. Um, but <clears throat> uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, as a couple, uh, when, you, when you and your wife are catching up, you need to know that. When are you praying together? Have you established a good sex life habit? When are you reviewing the budget and particular resources and needs as a couple? As a family, when are you doing family religion, having family time, doing vacations? You need to sit down and think about all these rhythms in your life. Get, get all that stuff on the paper, on a whiteboard. Um, it'll go a long way to assessing where you're at. You want the core of your life to be like Groundhog's Day. Have you seen that Bill, Bill Murray movie where he like keeps waking up in the same day? And then so for a while, he's all hedonistic. And then he realizes he can actually learn how to play the piano. And he develops all these skills. And he becomes friends and takes interest with everyone in the town. Like, I find that that, that that habitual, mundane, monotonous for the glory of God is transformative, right? And so if you're going into a church plant, you really want to establish those, uh, if you're a lay leader or a pastor, and have those figured out. Um, you want to focus on simple routines that you can consistently walk out. Rhythms were made for man, not man for rhythms. A church planting starts with a pastor and his family. And that pastor and his family will rep reproduce themselves and you want that to be a good thing. So if you want to get involved in ministry, uh, those of you listening that have that aspiration, uh, well, become the thing that you want others to become, right? Like grow in holiness. Like what, what are your disciplines? What are your spiritual disciplines? Ask those things. Another thing, and I originally wrote this with mostly pastors in mind, but maybe this will be helpful to, to non-pastors. Uh, I think of a lot about living room time your living room and dining room are powerful discipleship tools. Like vision casting starts by allowing people into your life. Uh, we, we have to do both show and tell. By allowing people into your home, you are showing them this is what a life with God looks like. This is a Christian marriage. This is Christian parenting. This is the power and grace I want to bring to our community. Not in a showy, fake way, but just a natural way. And when uh, we, 
This is actually, uh, when, you, when your guest kids bite one of your kids, it's a great discipleship moment. That happened in our church. Where, and then in one, we, uh, we forgot to cover up our, our, uh, our stairs, the downstairs, and this kid was like, falling down all the stairs. He's still at our church. I'm like, but those, uh, those are, you can demonstrate how the awkward and comfortable things of life are, are dealt with. Bring people into your life. Like, that's the most powerful a place is your, your living room. Like hospitality is transformative. If you want to help grow your church, start having people over. Have them over for meals and just take interest in them. Ask, ask questions about, you know, so what's going on in your life? What do you believe about religion? Just ask them those questions and just get going and God will open up doors. Now my third point, and I want to finish, I'll finish here. I can be pretty close. Uh, churches are to be local embodiments of, of a universal truth, right? The gospel. And so the point I like to make is Colossae is not Corinth. Corinth is not Colossae. The churches of Colossae and Corinth were founded on the same gospel. And generally speaking, it's the same doctrine. So if you, if you go read those books, it's the same Jesus, all that stuff. However, in each book, they, they're um, emphasizing a particular doctrine or aspects of doctrine based on the particular needs facing that church. So Colossae has got this weird kind of, it's like a podunk town. Right, it's like backwater, and they've got this weird mix of angel worship and kind of proto gnosticism, right? So it's like flat earthers or something, this weird stuff. And um, and and then Corinth is really has a, the impact of a pagan temple there and all the sexual immorality. So they focus on that. Uh, so those are different problems, and you have to you have to actually believe in contextualism. Now, I know Acts 29 and Tim Keller and those guys who talk about contextualism, but there is unbiblical and biblical contextualism. Unbiblical uh, contextualism uh, tries to dull the blade of the word of God by obscuring and softening it so it's more acceptable, right? So uh, biblical contextualism cleans off the blade of the word of God, right, so it can be better understood, so it's more intelligible. So what I'm trying to do is make sure people understand it. So sometimes when you get more contextual, you're all the more offensive. Because like, yeah, it's calling you to repent. Now you get that, right? And so you want to you care about your context. Um, a good example would be uh, Australia. I don't think, you, some of you have been American-pilled. And if you think you can pull off Christian nationalism here, you're smoking dope, man. <laughs> you know, and... I'm for, so I think the gospel changes everything. Think if you're a Christian, you're, that should change the way you vote. That should, if you're, uh, if you're in office, that should change the way you rule. It should impact everything. So if that's Christian nationalism, I guess I believe it. I don't know if what people mean by that phrase. It's this, they fight so much. But I'll tell you this much. One difference between Australia and America is in America, our citizens are pretty empowered, actually. And we have mayors, we have sheriffs. Uh, you can get on a council uh, with 150 votes in Batavia. You can get on there and maybe work four hours a week doing that and have influence in your local government. You guys don't really have those, those lower structures here as I understand it. I think to, to get on, I don't know what you call it, be, to become a rep or something in Tasmania is like 30,000 votes. And that's one of your smaller states. Uh, so I think... What will happen is you'll say, yes, I want that. I want a Christian nation, and who doesn't, right? And then, then if you try to go do it, and there's no way to do it, you're going to get blackpilled, right? You're going to get, you're gonna get um, really uh, depressed, and you feel like there's no hope, and that's where you're going to want to run away from Australia to you know, the promised land of America or whatever. Um, 
And I, I, don't, I don't think that's a good immediate approach at all. And I'll, I'll tell you when I end here in a second what I think is. Another thing um, that I see people doing is imagining they can take like what Doug Wilson's done in Moscow and just like lift it and move it to somewhere else. That church formed over 50 years and it went through all these different stages. And it's a very particular community I've been to many times. It's a, it's a small community with two uh, colleges there. And so uh, that kind of brings a certain liberalism to it, a certain energy, a lot of students coming through. Uh, it's very peculiar. There's not a lot of places like that in America. Bloomington, Indiana is like that. It's the place I lived. Uh, but it's, it, 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 and Doug is a very special guy. Like not, not very many people are wired like him. The guy, uh, the amount of content and books and stuff he writes and his ability to, to stay on, on the point is just not, not normal. But he's also surrounded by incredible, incredible men. Right, guys that just are workhorses, creative people that get those things done. And that's happened over 50 years. So that, that church has a very particular personality and it's particular to Moscow. It won't work everywhere. It won't work in Ohio, right? It wouldn't work for our people. Uh, our people, any sort of, anything that's like high church liturgy is just Roman Catholic and they don't want to have anything to do with it. I have to be careful by, about, uh, by saying words like catechism, right? Catechism sounds Catholic, it's Latin, right? Don't want anything to do with it. And, uh, and I have to be really smart on what I can and can't say because people will misunderstand. I don't want that to happen. And whatever East River will be, it's, it's growing. Like we, a church is a plant. It starts small and it grows and it, and it takes different shapes. It's not the church I, I, I tried to plant. You know, I'm like a hardcore, old school, Westminster confession, larger catechism, shorter catechism, Presbyterian form of government, you know, public, directory of public worship. I love all that stuff. Now, I thought I was going to have like this 50-person church where I could like live out this reality or whatever. And God had other plans. And then other leaders came in, and they had different gifts. And, and now we're, we're led by a plurality of elders, and all those gifts shape the personality of the church. And then different people come, and they shape the church. And so East River will have its own personality, but it has the same DNA of any biblical church. And so who knows what it'll, it'll be, but I'll tell you, your church, Australia needs something different. Right, doesn't need a. It's going to take a different form, and that's okay. Uh, you don't want to be weird about it. So I was in the Calvary Chapel movement. The Calvary Chapel movement was formed uh, of the Jesus People movement or the Jesus movement, uh, the Hate Ashbury revival out in California. Basically, a bunch of dirty hippies heard the gospel and got saved. Right, it was like huge, and that's where you get like Maranatha music, Keith Green, a Vineyard came out of there, and, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, in Calvary Chapel in Indiana, now Indiana uh, in February is like dark, dreary, I don't want to live anymore, okay? That's Indiana. That's where I grew up. Uh, I, get, I, get home, I get homesick for corn, right? There's, Indiana is nothing like California. But the Calvary Chapel pastors in Indiana would wear these Hawaiian shirts because that's what Chuck wore. They'd wear these Hawaiian shirts. And then Chuck had this, uh, he would always, uh, he talked really slow. So when you would listen to Chuck uh, in Bible college, in Calvary Chapel Bible college, you'd listen to his tapes like at three, three times speed, right, to, to get through it. Because he talks, to, but he'd always say, well, you know, you'd have this thing, you know, and you'd listen to these guys and they would always say that. They'd always like mimic 
Chuck's deal. And then when you'd come into a Calvary Chapel church in the 90s, you had to know about what went down in the 60s to understand the church because the Jesus People movement was such a history, such a big part of them, that you had to know that to understand the church. So it was quite the barrier of entry. You walk in and like, what's this? Why is this guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt and talking that way? And why do I have to know about a bunch of hippies from like 25 years ago to be part of this church? And so sometimes they have these like moments in history that they codify and they build a museum around it instead of a, a current movement of what God's doing. And that can be a real barrier uh, to get people into your church. Now, what do I think needs to happen in Australia? Again, I think what needs to happen is you guys have to raise up, you have to raise up pastors and you have to plant churches, right? You, you, need to, um, you need to back the men. If you're in a church that's a good church, don't leave it. But, but support those churches financially. Send your friends to those churches. You need a ton of churches. As I look at Australia, what it looks like to me is uh, once I started, I set my backyard on fire when I was a kid. I blamed it on the girl across the road, and she got, she got in trouble for it. But, um, uh, but anyway, what happened is I just was playing with matches like any little kid shouldn't do. And I lit this... Uh, this is like piece of grass, and it just went down in the whole backyard. It had it rained for like a month, and just poof, right? It just took off, right? And then I had a, like a turtle pool that was trying to scoop the water out and put it out. Uh, but anyway, I, I blamed the poor girl across the street. Um, that's what Australia is kind of like. It's dry, it's dry, and I feel like you guys are just one little flame away from things taking off. And if you're going to have any, if, if you want Christians as salt and light to affect your government, I, I think you're several decades away, um, which is not that long a time. You have to start thinking in, in decades uh, if you're going to think biblically, okay? You have to think that way. I don't think, to me, like a year is nothing. Um, and so think that way. If you start planting churches now, there will be the base to actually have influence, and so that's my ex exhortation to you. Like, take what Craig was talking about, gospel preaching. Just preach it all the time. Um, just bring it up. Tell people the word. Tell them to repent. Tell them to believe the gospel. You know, that they, they, their sin sending them to hell. They got to be made right with God. And, and God just renews people. Here's how I got saved. A big black guy stood up in front of a bunch of people and said, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're dying and going to hell. And then just suddenly, I was alive. Right? It was like crazy. Had all these apologetic arguments against Christianity and just like that is saved. That's, that's, that's awesome. It's awesome. It's the word of God. Just do that and then, and then get behind church planning. Uh, get behind it big time. Let's pray anyway. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing everywhere. Your, your church cannot be stopped because it is powered by your Holy Spirit. Because it is your will that this planet will give you praise. God, we know the day will come when every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, Lord. But before then, Lord, we ask that you would bless Australia with lots of solid churches where your name is honored, where your word is preached, where your sacraments are administered. Pray that it would, uh, first, we would have bold pastors. But as the bold pastors do their work, it would embolden the men and women in the pews that take that out into their lives, God, into their workplaces, and in time, into their own government, God. We ask this name your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.